Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that has come to accept crushing despair and disappointment as the new normal. This Thursday was the biggest set of elections outside of a general election in British history. Up and down the country, two years worth of council seats and mayoralties were up for grabs, as well as the parliamentary seat of Hartlepool in a by-election. The results have not been pretty for Keir Starmer and the Labour Party. Hartlepool was lost, the Tories made gains in the number of council seats they held, as well as, over, as, well as an increase in the overall number of councils they run. On top of this, in areas like Teesside, the Tories not only successfully re-elected Mayor Tim Hoochin, but did so with a whopping 73, yes, you heard that right, 73, 73% of the vote. As of the time of recording, the bad news could still roll in, as major electoral tests for Labour, such as the West Midlands Mayoralty and the Police and Crime Commissioner, haven't yet been called, but they're not looking like comfortable victories for the Labour Party. To be honest, saying it was a bad night for Labour is a bit of an understatement. Not to sound too hyperbolic, but the result, but results like these, after the Tories have been in power since 2010, are the sort of thing that political nightmares are made of. And we're going to dissect this nightmare after this seemingly now, currently, quite jarringly jaunty theme tune. The short campaign has ended. Uh, sadly, Corey is still stuck in election fallout, but he will be back with us soon. Um, so to help me this week dissect these election results, I'm joined by Dr. LJ Davies of the West Midlands Fabians. Uh, I've got two questions to start off for you, LJ. One, how are you doing? And two, what the hell did we just witness? <laughs> uh, well, let's get the first one away. I'm fine. Thanks for asking. The second one is a bit more difficult. To some extent, I think actually the the horrific for labor thing is slightly overblown not that this is in any set of good set of, in any way a good set of results we've gone from being 12 points behind the tories in 2019 to only six points behind the tories so some of that is um is beneficial you know is is catching up some of this is a bit of a perfect storm for labor in england at least wales has been very positive there's been some early shoots of recovery in scotland Hartlepool was saved for Labour by Nigel Farage in 2019, and that's just that fallout has continued there, along with some errors. Um, but there's been a bit of a perfect storm for Labour with context, but also with some of the party's own own goals, really, or decision making. I think we need to to look at both sides, both at what we couldn't control, which is, you know the pandemic, the vaccine mounts, and so on, and what we could where we, we could do better. That notion of things that we can't, well, things that the party couldn't control and things that the party could control is, is quite an interesting one. It, it's something that I think it was, I saw Stephen Bush kind of bring up in regards to the to, to the Hartlepool by-election. Bush is quite an interesting like commentator and does tend to delve into things in, in interesting ways. And the things that he he was, was focused on, one, Nigel Farage basically saved that seat for Labour last time round, but uh, Starmer botched a load of choices in the run-up to this. The, the two core ones being, one, the timing, potentially, of the election. The intricacies of Parliament and by-elections means that the party that held the seat previously has to pass a writ through the House of Commons, which can be done at any, not necessarily at any point, but it 
you know, it once that's passed, that then sets the timetable for when the election should happen. So uh, um, it was in Starmer's ability to choose when this happened. He chose to put it on the same days of the local elections, um, and the mayor, and crucially up up north in that area, at the same time as the mayoralty election, uh, where, as we said in the intro, he got seventy three percent of the vote. That timing issue was a massive screw up in some form. The other issue then boils down to the choice, potentially the choice of candidate. Now, we discussed last time, LJ, when you were on um, talking about uh, Keir Starmer's first year in leadership, we had a bit of a conversation around the choice of uh, Williams as the uh, candidate where for, for Hartlepool, where there was basically a short list of one put forward, which obviously caused a bit of, of a kerfuffle online. It potentially looks like... One, that might have actually damaged the campaign from the get-go because it immediately looks like Labour are saying, no, 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 silly Northerners. We know what's best for you. You're going to have this candidate. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure, like, from, from all accounts, he was a cracking MP when he was an MP before in terms of, like, doing all the casework, actually getting involved with the communities, all of those things. Never met the guy. I'm sure he's a really nice person. But he was a massive Remainer, not just in the I voted to remain sense and the European referenda, but in the I was actively campaigning for a second referendum to try and overturn the initial vote in an area which voted, what was it, 60, 70% leave, something like that. I can't remember the exact thing. It just almost feeds into that notion of here's these this southern London-based Labour Party trying to tell us what to do. And you, you've, you've, you've just got those two screw-ups in, in terms of maybe the choice of the candidate and the timing, which have just fed into this election, this by-election being a being a, well, a, 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 a suboptimal, doesn't really <laughs> cover it. it. It's a very, very bad outcome because it's not just a case that, you know, all of the um, Brexit party votes went to the Tories. They did, but the, the percentage vote for Labour dropped as well. I mean, last time on the podcast, I was talking, actually, I think Paul Williams was a good candidate for, for Hartlepool. Now, I'm going to slightly row that back. Um, I think most of what I said was accurate, um, and I would stand by most of it. So a short list of one, imposing a candidate at very short notice on a by-election is not unusual for any party. He was local. You know, he, he's a Hartlepool GP. Uh, an NHS doctor who's been working on the vaccine rollout is not a bad candidate at the moment to, to put up. He was an MP for in a, in a nearby constituency. The Tory MP was a farmer from the other side of Yorkshire who, when asked if she'd ever been to Hartlepool before the election, said, I once visited the Battery Museum. Right. So um, and who was, again, a shortlist of one. Right. So I, I think you can't really... Um, narrow that down as a thing i think there's two two parts of it one is that the fact that it was instantly leaked and griped is indicative of the fact that the hard left in particular is still damaging the party and, and going out of its way to damage the party and posing a candidate on a by-election that's what happens in by-elections because they're very short notice there isn't time frankly to organize you know big meetings have people campaign in advance to who can be the candidate and so on and as I say, it's not an unusual occurrence. And it's also not unusual for candidates to be imposed. That's the people of Leicester East, um, as I said before, you know, or Sam Tarry's constituency. That This is not unusual. The the bit where I have rode back and have reconsidered based on not so much the result, but, he, but the stuff that's come out of it around 
um, and this is still early days, but around what seems to be coming out is the the Brexit thing. Not necessarily that he voted Remain. That is not necessarily a killer. I think what it was was the second referendum campaign. People see that as us trying to subvert democracy and subvert their will and um, they don't like it. You know, there's an awful lot of people on Twitter who are decrying Donald Trump for refusing to accept the result of the election, who also spent five years refusing to accept the result of the referendum. There's an awful lot of them are going to be very angry, and I'm probably going to get a bunch of angry tweets about that. And, you know, and they're not necessarily directly comparable cases, but they look comparable. Outcry and the anger that it caused is comparable. You know, people do think that pushing for a second referendum was a betrayal of democracy and a betrayal of democratic values. That, more than the actual Brexit policy itself, is what we've got to get get past to, to earn a hearing again. Once Brexit's been done, harping on about it and wanting to go back to the halcyon days of the EU just looks like you want the country to fail. I genuinely think the party needs to apologise for pushing a second referendum before we will get any kind of hearing in the red wall seats. Yeah, I mean, and I think there's there still is an, a bit of an undercurrent within the uh, Labour Party, and it is an undercurrent, and it's not actually that big, but it's 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 there, and you can it's best personified by Lord Andrew Adonis, um, yeah. who like I I I, I quipped um, uh, on, on on Twitter as the results were, were were coming in yesterday. I wonder how long it would take uh, Adonis to turn around and produce some some. Ed- Produce some piece uh, saying that the, all of these results were proof, absolute proof that we needed to go harder on, you know, rejoining the EU. And lo and behold, about 10, 15 minutes later, that's exactly what he was tweeting. Also, where he he dared to suggest that perhaps the next leader of the uh, Labour Party shouldn't just be limited to the Commons. And I'm like, I'm going, kind of going there. Are you saying you want to try and be leader of the Labour Party, Andrew? Because <laughs> if, if if you do, you're not going to win. I don't necessarily think that idea in and of itself is bad. I've heard discussed time and time and time again when I was a Lib Dem. Mm. Uh, because obviously at various points, the Lib Dems have had either very few MPs or um, very few MPs that were actually up to the calibre of being leader. And there were a lot of very good people, very good, charismatic, talented people who weren't necessarily in the House of Commons. If you were going to do that, you'd have to completely change our system. You'd have to end up with a system like similar to the US where the prime minister was elected separately to the Commons. And I don't don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. The betrayal of democratic values is a huge thing. You know, if we rejoin the EU in 20, 30, 40 years time, that's a different question certainly should not be anything we're talking about right now we've got to accept the result you know we've got to accept what the result was and we've got to apologize for uh refusing to do so before we can and we've got to look like we're in favor of the country succeeding and the more you talk about rejoining the halcyon days of the eu what you're telling people is that you want britain to fail and you want this current situation for britain which was you know dominated by brexit to fail you want the country to fail so that you horrible people learn your horrible mistake and you do what I told you you should have done anyway. That's not a winning electoral strategy. I, I think your 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 analysis is a uh, is a hell of a lot better than a lot of the analysis I've read online from a lot of people <laughs> because you haven't just reverted into faction entirely into factional warfare, where you've got um, an awful awful lot of like comment commentary that I've seen from the Labour right has just been oh it's 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 you know it's the effect of long Corbyn which is a phrase I detest in and of itself because it it's just blaming like. Blaming Corbyn for, for for things that yes 
there's some truth to to to, to the fact that there was uh, an absolute mess left. But at the same time, it's not just that. There's there's wider trends here, which Costamo was meant to sort out. Hasn't. Yes, not entirely all his fault, but he still hasn't necessarily presented a meaningful plan or any sort of plan, um, even to the people who are actively looking and trying to pay attention to him, let alone the country. So you've got that. Um, and then you've got the Brexit kind of side of things, which you've, 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 you've highlighted. I think you're 100% right about um, the apology, for lack of a better term, to uh, uh, around the second referendum. I think we are going to struggle to have that hearing uh, without kind of doing that. The other side of things, though, is when when you kind of delve into the kind of like the hard left, is you you have an issue where what we've seen with the results, and and I think to a degree we're kind of seeing this in London. I don't think the results been called there yet, but Sean Bailey seems to be doing a hell of a lot better than everybody thought he would do. London for it to be as, as close as it looks like it is at the moment. I still don't think Sadiq Khan's in any danger of losing, but it shouldn't be this close at all. Um, for us to have that position, it suggests that there is a significant part of the core vote which isn't infused, and that a lot of our party members and a lot of our core vote is in London. So we've got an issue there where if you've got that that hard left element that you know you say maybe you need to do something about or, 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 or whatever... How do you do that without fracturing the core vote? Because mm. you need to draw a distinction, to my mind, between have an argument for the sake of ideological purity. You've got to find a way to deal with those people without also, broadly speaking, uh, annoying a lot of the people who, one, liked the initial kind of like policy proposals of, 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 of Jeremy Corbyn, especially with, with a focus in, if you look at 2017 rather than 2019, because I think that's one of the things that's kind of getting lost in a lot of the analysis. Yes, we didn't do enough to win, but actually that manifesto kind of worked and was popular and there was a campaign and a strategy behind it which seemed to resonate in some form. For our base, at the very least, we need to be presenting something in line with that and not doing something that is then going to put them off, mm. um, which I think at the moment is what we've had from, from Starmer is actually you know, actively trying to tackle uh, anti-Semitism, absolutely necessary, 100%, but then not doing anything else, seemingly, which results in him looking factional rather than him actually being the unity candidate that he was he was meant to be. And it could be that it's, again, pandemic, inability to get out there. It, all of these things could be counting against him. But like those things haven't happened and they kind of need to. And moving forward, those things still need to happen. And he needs to do it in a way that doesn't fracture the base. And that mm. I think is actually quite a, a tricky tightrope for Starmer in particular to walk at the moment because the narrative has already set in for, for him about who he is amongst those sorts of, the, uh, amongst an awful lot of the base. Now, that's not necessarily the membership, um, although within some of the membership it has already set in in that way as well, but certainly amongst people who were voting Labour in 2019 and 2017. There's a few things around here, right? First of all is don't mention the war attempt on Brexit is not appealing to the hardcore Remain side any more than it is to the hardcore Brexit side. And if he is going to apologise for a second referendum, that will upset people who are that hardcore remain demographic one of the problems here is 
we don't really have the line, what I would call the lines in the sand, right, which is not detailed policy. It's the framework on which you hang it. Education, education, education. Now, that is not a detailed policy plan for what you're going to do with schools and universities, et cetera, et cetera. But it tells you that education is important to us and it's a value that we hold. Ditto on uh, tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime, right? These are, uh, and 24 hours to save the NHS. I mean, the fact that I can still remember these, and I was nine years old when they were being deployed. I couldn't tell you what the equivalents were under Ed Miliband in 2015. Let's put it that way. I mean, it was the Edstone, um, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. If I asked you now, what are the five bullet point pledges that define Starmer's Labour that would go on a pledge card? I probably couldn't tell you what the first one was. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is one of the major issues that he's, he's got. I mean, one of the comments that I, I, I received from, from someone was, uh, was, I thought Keir Starmer had a plan. I'm not convinced he does anymore. And uh, that, that I think is kind of covers that same kind of ground as what you say talking yeah. about in regards to those like you know what are the five key pledges or whatnot and, and, and the yeah. thing is there's actually plenty of stuff that you could easily tap into for this sort of thing which you know again the the pandemic means you're not necessarily going to get a hearing from the um from the electorate but you have a, an audience that you still need to kind of work with and keep on board and win over as as we're seeing here in terms of your base as well as the party membership there are lots of things that could have been, he could have kind of put, even if it was just kind of like a top level, this is the focus for now. Half inch Rebecca Long Bailey's kind of like green, green industrial revolution slash green new deal or, or, or whatever, and make that a focus. You can uh, take a look at policy areas that are widely popular within the party and just kind of come up with a framework for it and maybe just add a few bits and pieces. The National Education Service, which is one of my massive gripes that I have about the Corbyn leadership um, because this phrase national education service was thrown around like it was a really big deal and there was nothing behind it absolutely nothing at all it was just basically a a, a hat that we put on our policy of we will abolish tuition fees um, with an idea of that there was something more behind it take that framework which is something that the uh that the party membership and a lot of the base are probably going to be familiar with already and add to it i've been quite positive on Starmer up until now like it's not even necessarily the results that have made me kind of shift my opinion it's the spin that the leadership has kind of gone for after the fact like Starmer's response and the response of the leadership has very much been yes we we accept that we need to change and we are going to do that we're going to speed up the rate of change to which my response is what are you changing today it's been announced there's going to be a policy review okay cool haven't you been doing that for the past year anyway there are things that unite the two parts of, of the um, constituencies still, particularly on economics, that, that unites the, the, the metropolitan areas with the, with the towns and things. What you need to do is talk to people's real lives and stop focusing so much on what life is like in London, right? Housing, for example. If you go to someone like Hartlepool, there's actually quite a high proportion of homeowners because although the wages are much lower than London, the housing prices are considerably lower than London, so it is, it's much easier to get on the housing ladder. So going on and on and on about the rented sector, it's important in the metropolitan districts, but not so much in, the, in a lot of the other parts of the world. So what you need to do there is talk about housing in a more sophisticated way, you know, in a way that can speak to both. So you're talking about not just about the rented se private rented sector, you're also talking about how can, how can we help people to improve their homes, get a new bathroom, get a new kitchen, 
And, and to go on to, the, to, to talk about the Green New Deal or the Green Industrial Revolution, people are not as motivated by the environment as some people seem to assume because of two reasons. First of all, it's not necessarily party political, right? The Conservatives talk about environmentalism, particularly with the COP happening in, in I think it's Glasgow. That's not a dividing line. The second is that people generally assume that it will work itself, it will work out in some way. And thirdly is they don't like it when it inconveniences them. You know, I think if you look at London and some of the areas where Sean Bailey's doing well, the evangelical low traffic neighborhood stuff maps onto it. This notion that everybody's going to cycle to work is absolutely for the fairies. In Birmingham and in a huge number of other places, the public transport is buses, which are then stuck in the traffic. It's it's not a it's not a, a thing that people are prepared to support because they don't see the benefit of it because they think environmentalism or the climate change will work itself out. And people are aware that it doesn't actually matter if, if Britain went carbon neutral, still it's not gonna actually make a blind bit of difference necessarily to the environment as a whole. Because China, India, you know, I think something like 70% of the world's emissions are, belong to 100 major corporations, quite a large number of which are owned by the Chinese state. And they're doing, you know, they're happy to recycle, they're happy to do their bits, but you can't take their car off them because then they can't get anywhere. Actually, a lot of the green stuff is not the way to go. The way to go is to talk about good jobs. A fair day's pay for a fair day's work. That unites gig economy, your Hartlepool middle class, and everyone in between. Community and a sense of togetherness. How to build that community, how to support civil society. 888, eight hours of work, eight hours of leisure, eight hours of sleep. Having that time to do civil society things, whether that's meeting your friends down the pub, whether that's a bowling league, whether that's a sewing circle, a book club, whatever it is you want to do. But having that time is important to people. And I think the other thing we need to realise is that actually now to a lot of people, we are the nasty party because of that self-righteousness that, that comes across a lot. That does tend to come a lot from this hard left, I have to admit, but it also comes from the other parts of the party. There is an awful lot of people who are baffled at the notion, how could anybody possibly vote Tory? I think it was Paul Mason. Someone's put on Twitter a, a story of a canvasser in Tooting who, when the, the person they were talking to on the doorstep told them that they were voting Tory, turned around and said, you need to reevaluate your values in your life. And I mean, that's, that's a horrific attitude. And the other thing that, we, that is marking the difference between us and the Tories at the moment is we are an and party and they are an or party. And what I mean by that is we have this long shopping list of positions and you have to sign up to every single one of them. And if you do not sign up to every single one of them, you are an inferior human being and you deserve all of the abuse that you're about to get. You saw that recently when Keir Starmer visited the food bank at the church, where all that came out of that was this huge slate of attacks calling him bigoted for going to a church that has traditional religious views on homosexuality. Now, I'm not by any means saying that we should not be in favour of equal rights for LGBT people. Of course we should. But there are ways and means of doing it. And standing there screaming bigots at someone because they're religious is not the way to, to do it. It's not going to make them in any way more favourable towards LGBT rights. And what you need to do there is build them where you do agree, which is the work around the food banks and supporting the local community when it's on hard times. And you build up that level of trust and then you invite them 
with the trust that they now have in you to meet with LGBT Labour. And you get LGBT Labour down there to work in the food bank as well and work on things where they agree. And you start building those links. Watch Pride. It's what happened in, you know, it's what happened between the LGBT community and the coal miners in Pride. We need to learn that lesson. And you have to agree with and this and this and this and this. Um, whereas the Tories, it's all. You can be pro-Brexit or you can be pro-low taxes or you can be pro-patriotic patriotic now or you can be pro-Boris. You, it's or. You only have to sign up to one to be welcome in their tent. Uh, I, I must uh, uh, highlight one little thing uh, you said there because I was called up by this on by 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 Corey. You have utilised the word Boris um, without oh, yes, utilising his own uh, his surname. Therefore, you must now make a prediction. Uh, a prediction? What sort of prediction? Um, Manchester City will win the Premier League. There you go. <laughs> no, it needs to be political. Um, let's go for that. Uh, there's going to be a reshuffle of some sort from from Starmer after all of this. I suspect. Who do you think gets brought into the shadow cabinet? Just two, one or two names. Trouble is, there's not that many left outside. Hillary Benn and Yvette Cooper, I think, are the two big names who are not currently in the cabinet in some capacity. So I'll go with those two. Cool. Awesome. Uh, and now back to the yeah. actual general point that was being made. Sorry, that was entirely yeah. for Corey. Um... <laughs> <laughs> we are the party that hates J.K. Rowling and would reject the vote of Mother Teresa, right? We have become the nasty party, and we need to realise this, and we need to have socialism with compassion. Because if there is no compassion in socialism, it's a dead buzzword. Twitter is the worst thing that ever happened to the Labour Party. This self-righteous attitude needs to go in the bin. It just does, and we need to start being more welcoming to different communities. If we don't agree with them, find the areas we do agree. Once you have built up that trust, then you start talking about where you don't agree. And that is how you do build up uh, liberation politics and things. Yeah, so I think that I think the next kind of step for, for, for us to, to discuss is where, where does Labour actually go from here? As, as Amongst all of the doom and gloom um, that is there, there are little pockets of of interesting results that are positive for for labor like you alluded to it earlier wales mm-hmm. actually um I, I believe as of earlier today it's been confirmed that the uh the, the labor have got back their majority uh, uh, we matched our best ever result i believe 30 out of 60 seats we we increased the number of seats we took the ronda back off leanne wood yep so um, played have lost a major figure yep there seems to, interestingly enough, there seems to have been some tactical voting, uh, which has allowed the Lib Dems to take one seat on the lists, hmm. um, which is quite interesting because people sort of recognise that Lab Lib coalition. We've halved the level of behind the Tories we were in 2019, which is a positive. I do think there's been a perfect storm with things we can't control. The vaccine bounce was real. It's difficult to use the attack line, the Tories are incompetent when the vaccine and the logistics around that have gone so well. Now, I know that the government has actually uh, has deliberately been hands off with that because they assumed that it was going to go wrong and they didn't want to be near it. Um, you know, what the government ran was trust, track and trace, which was horrific. So it is, you know, it does a little bit sting that the success of the, the NHS, they're getting credit for, but they are, and you can't turn around and say they're incompetent when this is happening. Um, the other thing is that the vaccine rollout is a mass, is a big partnership between big business and really big venture capital business and the public sector which the Tories are perfectly prepared to back, whereas Labour will go, how dare you involve venture capitalists in the NHS? Again, it goes back to that ideological purity problem. Um, I know we've got a podcast coming up. Spoilers for ahead, 
uh, listeners, on why the Tory sleaze attacks did not work and will not work. I will rant about that next week. What will be interesting will be to see if Tracy Braven wins West Yorkshire and there's a by-election in Batley and Spen, because a big difference between Batley and Spen and Hartlepool is there is almost no ethnic minority vote in Hartlepool. It's a decent chunk one in Batley and Spen. So that might be an interesting to see. Um, whether, you know, that part of our coalition is still strong. But there has been, you know, all three incumbent governments have benefited from a positivity bounce about the pandemic, uh, which was Labour in Wales, the Tories in England and the SNP in Scotland. Equally, our common strategy has been crap in several ways. One of the things that I will credit Momentum for, they had a very, very slick and very, very good social media operation, which the party does not have. Uh, and the party should learn from Exeter. We have gained seats right in the southwest in Exeter because Ben Bradshaw held the party machinery together and it swung into gear and we gained seats on Exeter Council and we control Exeter Council. I think Wigan, where Lisa Nandy is, I think we've done, I don't think we've lost a council seat in Wigan. I may be wrong. I don't believe we have, yeah. So I think Lisa, yeah. Lisa, Lisa Nandy's was one of the, uh, well, Lisa Nandy's area, I should say, yeah. um, is very much one of the areas where there has been a very strong continuation of performance, including, I think, one of the other areas was also Preston. Two kind of different sets of things happening, not in necessarily in the sense of, oh, they're doing completely different things and like on different ends of the party or anything like that, but just um, Preston has been quite active in doing a certain type of policy, making sure every, uh, all the outsourcing is local, boosting put, putting back you know the, the expenditure of the council into the local economy there's no point talking about the same old Tories because people see Boris Johnson's conservatives which are actually fairly in favor of high spending and high tax relatively high taxes you know they've just been paying half the country's wages for a year you cannot compare them to to Osborne and, and Cameron because people don't see it you know, a lot of the time they see Johnson as fixing the austerity that Cameron and Osborne caused. So saying it's the same people doesn't wash with people. They don't see it. And I think we need to recognise the beast that we're, fi- we're fighting here in Johnson's party. And I think also we need to be much more clear-eyed about the world we're in. I don't think what worked in 1997 will work now. But that clear-eyed vision of the world and the country that we are in is something we need. We're far too wedded to our our, our our views of the world. We, we need to recognise what the country is um, and what what the people in this country want, and we're not doing that. We need we need that clear eyed vision. On that, I think we'll leave that there. I mean, there's there's, there's an awful lot we could go into in relation to all of this. It, as uh, LJ alluded to uh, earlier on, we are going to be doing a bit of a dive into the kind of like the comm strategy. Uh, if you do want to hear more from us, you can head over to notenoughchampagne.com. You can follow us on Twitter at nochampagnepod. You can follow uh, me at uh, Acoustic Radical on Twitter, LJ. Your... At LJD Labour. Our logo was done by James Cram. Our music was done by J- James uh, by Dave Depper. Uh, and if you want to head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne, you can fling us a few quid every month to help us cover the cost of running the podcast. And you will gain uh, access to unique episodes um, and various other bits and pieces. If, if you have been campaigning, enjoy your rest and happy plotting. Mm-hmm.